0: What does it mean to bring our whole selves into the world? To give ourselves the gift of unconditional acceptance. Join me as we learn together. I'm Jorgen Salvis and this is Unshaming. Hey, it's Jor. Before we get this episode kicked off, I wanted to make sure that you are subscribed and following Unshaming on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can even set up a feature so that you get push notifications whenever new episodes come out so you never miss an episode. I actually just learned this myself. New episodes of Unshaming come out every other Monday wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love Unshaming, send it to a friend. Now, let's get into the show. This week's episode is a little different. I'm not interviewing anyone. It's actually a letter. A couple of episodes ago, I told you that I wanted to start telling your stories on the show, and so this is one of them. In this episode, I read Anna Mushroff's letter. It's about the shame of leaving her religion, Islam, but it's a little deeper than that too. It's about the shame that comes with leaving any part of your life behind that you always thought to be true. It's about growing out of the mindsets that we grew up in. It's also about the bravery and the confusion that comes with choosing our authentic selves. I think it's a choice all of us have been confronted with at one point or another. Here's a little information about Anna, the author of the letter. Anna Mushreff is a global leader in organizational culture and diversity. She works to encourage organizations to see the true value of diversity and inclusion. In her own words, my deepest belief is that we can and we should seek to live a life that brings us closer to our highest selves. The journey of becoming my highest self, a journey I'm still on, has required deep acknowledgement of life elements I needed to shed and new ones. I needed to embrace. This is the shame of leaving religion. I was born and raised in Allentown, Pennsylvania. My parents were immigrants, my mother from Lebanon and my father from Syria. I grew up with two siblings, an older sister and a younger brother. We grew up in this sort of mixed world. Inside our home was an immigrant family from the Middle East. And outside was the countryside of Pennsylvania. There was little diversity in the school that I attended, and I always felt like an outsider. My mother would pack me a classic Arab lunch every day—a zatar sandwich with pita bread and sesame paste and olive oil—a stark contrast to the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, caprisuns, and gushers that were around me. We weren't always a religious family. My father only became a more devout Muslim later in his adulthood, when I was about five or six years old. His life before this included bouts with alcohol and gambling. But when he found Islam, it gave him grounding and a sense of purpose that changed his life. So he embraced it, and naturally, the family got involved too. As the middle child in between the family's firstborn and the family's first son, I often felt invisible. I craved my father's attention and I always wanted to make him proud. I wanted to live my life according to his approval. Islam was my way of being seen by him because I knew it was important to him. When we started becoming more active in the religion, we began praying five times a day and going to Sunday school every week the staples of Islam. In becoming more involved in the Muslim community, I finally felt like I fit in somewhere. It was my first time being around other first-generation Arab Americans, and it gave me this big sense of belonging. These were the kids who also brought super-ethnic lunches to school. We spoke the same unspoken language, not completely fitting in with our parents, but also not completely fitting in with the white kids. We would spend so much time at the mosque that it felt like an extended home. We knew everyone there because we were there so often. Normally we would go twice a week, but during Ramadan, we'd go almost every single day. I vividly remember what it was like. I remember the warm smell of jasmine incense when I would walk into the prayer hall. I remember the comforting sound of Arabic echoing throughout the mosque as people said prayers in unison. My dad would go to pray, but being children, my siblings and I would go because we wanted to see our friends. We'd play charades and play hide-and-go-seek under the tables, and we'd blow bubbles. I can still hear the chaos of children laughing and playing in my memories. But everything changed on September 11th, 2001. I was in the fifth grade when 9-11 happened. Before 9-11, I was so proud to be Muslim because the mosque had given me such a strong sense of identity. It taught me to be kind and loving and warm. It gave me confidence and community. But that day tainted everything. I remember soon after 9-11, One of my classmates approached me and asked, are you Muslim? I said yes, and she said, my dad says you're a terrorist. I was 10. I was at a loss of words. What do you say when you're a child and someone says you're a terrorist? Looking back, that moment triggered a fight or flight instinct. I froze in confusion and fear. How could the religion I loved, the religion I knew to be a place of safety and warmth, be associated with something so awful? The months and years following 9-11 were traumatic for me. People would vandalize our mosque by spray painting swastikas and smashing the windows. I would hear horror stories of women getting their hijabs ripped off their heads or Muslims being told to go back to your country. The way I dealt with the fear and prejudice was to become invisible. I just wanted to disappear, to take up as little space as possible. I remember not even wanting to walk across the classroom because I didn't want people to see me. I thought to myself, if I can avoid interaction, perhaps I can also avoid any humiliation or even worse violence. The only time I felt truly comfortable in my adolescence was when I was with my Muslim friends. There was a shared layer of understanding with them. They knew what I was going through because they were going through it too. In the wake of this backlash against Muslim Americans, we came together. The resounding response within the Muslim community was that the terrorists who carried out the attacks of 9-11 weren't actually Muslim. They were terrorists. And the two are mutually exclusive because the peaceful teachings of the faith were in direct contradiction to their actions. So I continued to be a devout Muslim. I continued to create home where I knew home to be, the mosque. My faith never wavered. After graduating high school, I actually wanted to lean into my identity as a Muslim woman I wanted to begin wearing the hijab that Muslim women wear. I was proud to be a Muslim, and I wanted to show it. I was proud of my religion. I truly believed that Islam was firmly rooted in morality. The religion essentially gave me a guidebook for how to live my life as a good person, and I wanted to publicly identify myself with that. As is common in Islam, I got married when I was young. I was 21. When I think back to this moment though, deep in my gut, I knew I was making the wrong decision. It started like most love stories. I fell in love with another Muslim man. We were very young and in the Muslim religion, you don't really date. When you fall in love, the expectation is that you get engaged and then you marry that person. Getting married felt like the right thing to do. I thought. I'm a Muslim woman, I'm wearing the hijab, I'm learning and getting my education. Now, I'm going to get married. I was following all the rules. I was doing everything I should have been doing to be a good Muslim girl. And I just wanted to make my father proud as well. I believe that we really did care for each other, but at the same time, we never really learned how to care for each other. We weren't compatible, We never learned how to meet each other's needs. We were so young and had so many differences. And slowly, I realized we were a major mismatch. Our marriage began to feel transactional, like we simply checked a box. I remember at times I would try to hold his hand, but he wouldn't hold mine. Looking back, I remember how devastating that was to me. As I've developed a more emotional intelligence over the years, I've learned that I need physical affection to feel safe and seen in my relationships, especially after arguments. I wasn't perfect either. I didn't communicate my needs to him, and instead, I numbed the pain of my dissolving marriage through work and friends. I worked 20-hour days, and when I wasn't working, I took trips with my friends. Even though I had a partner, I felt so alone. It felt like we were strangers living in the same house. What's more, as I entered my 20s, my career ambitions began to grow bigger than I ever imagined. The gender norms of Islam, being a supportive wife, seemed to conflict with my reality. He had dreams of attending medical school and I was expected to accommodate those dreams, to move and uproot my life for him. As my career and social life began to blossom, I started to resent the idea of prioritizing his life over mine. I'm typically a cheerful, light-spirited person, but I was deeply sad at this time. Between my longing for independence and the slow collapse of my marriage, I began to question my identity as a Muslim woman which meant I began questioning who I was entirely I had planned it all out in my head I'll be the perfect Muslim woman I thought I'll get married I'll have a good job I'll be a great wife supportive and encouraging of my husband but that didn't seem to align with my reality I wasn't sure who I was anymore but I continued going through the empty motions of my life. I remember having a moment of revelation. At the height of my depression, I went home to visit my parents for the weekend. I was lying on the sofa, just blankly staring into space. My mom approached me and without hesitation, she asked, what's wrong? It was jarring because it wasn't anything like the regular mother to daughter interactions we'd always had this was the first time my mother spoke to me as another woman. She knew something was shifting within me. I denied that anything was wrong, but that moment became the mirror of truth I had been avoiding. I wasn't happy, and I knew it. I asked myself, is this really the life that I want to live? We'll be right back. Unshaming is brought to you by you. If you love the work that Unshaming is doing and believe that it's important, you can invest in us for just a few dollars a month. Log on to patreon.com slash Unshaming to become a patron of the show. Your investment in us goes into higher production quality, expanding our reach so that these stories inspire as many people as possible. It also helps us produce content more frequently. Thank you so much to all of our generous Unshaming patrons so far. Once again, that's patreon.com unshaming. I really tried to make it work. I turned to my faith to help me find answers. I prayed. I went to couples therapy. I wanted to save my marriage, but I couldn't. I tried everything because when you're Muslim and you get married, you don't get divorced. Not because it's illegal, but because there's a cultural stigma of failure attached to it. And I was ashamed to admit that I was failing. To get divorced meant to go against what I knew the rules to be, but I'd followed the rules my whole life. It seems like a ton of pressure to put on yourself, but my identity was defined by following the rules. What would my community think? What would my friends think? What would my father think? I could almost hear the gossip. Did you hear Anna's getting a divorce? But it came to the point where I asked myself the question, imagine you never found love again. What would you do? I knew in that moment that I would still get divorced just to have a chance at the life I wanted to live. The day was March 4th when I left. I remember because I happened to see this inspirational quote that day. I had already made up my mind, but I was still apprehensive. And I started scrolling through Pinterest, and I came across this post that said, March 4th is the only day in the calendar that tells you what to do. March 4th. So that's what I did. I marched forth. I tried so hard to follow the rules that I had known my whole life, but I had this moment when I realized that choosing myself sometimes means breaking the rules. I chose to get divorced, and it felt terrible, First to break someone's heart, but then to be shamed by my community and by my society. My father didn't speak to me for six months. It was as though all of my deepest fears were becoming realized. I remember attending a wedding of a friend shortly after my divorce, and I could feel the eyes on me. I could hear people talking about me. The worst part? was that it felt like I was distracting from the people getting married. I was so ashamed and humiliated, but also furious and angry. I started to question how could I even associate myself with a culture that could treat people in this way? I knew the religion itself wasn't harmful, but it was almost impossible to remove the religion from the culture. I felt myself getting divorced again this time from my religion throughout the years following my divorce i began to examine my life more fully as a muslim woman i felt broken following the divorce but excited to start my life the best way i can describe it was as though i was driving with no gps as though my engine was a little broken but as though i had a full tank of gas Soon after, a work opportunity came up to move abroad to Germany. I didn't know anyone there, and I didn't speak German, but before that good Muslim girl inside me who had to stay close to her family could resist, I took it. After some time settling into my new life in Germany, I realized I was no longer devoted to Islam in the way that I once was. The divorce had changed me. The religion I once thought of as home didn't feel like home anymore. I realized there were a lot of things that didn't properly flow in my internal system anymore. I didn't want to pray five times a day. I didn't want to play a supporting role to any man. I didn't want to partake in the culture in the way that I'd once done before. And I realized after 10 long years, I no longer wanted to wear the hijab I felt like a fraud wearing the hijab. I wasn't the same woman I was when I began wearing it. I chose to tell my mother first about my lifestyle changes because she also didn't wear the hijab. Mom, I have to tell you something, I said. I stopped wearing the hijab. Actually, I haven't worn it for months. Before she answered, I mentally prepared myself for the similar type of shame storm that I had endured When I got the divorce. She paused and said, finally. I was surprised and relieved all at once. I never actually told my father, who was much more religious than my mother, and although I began practicing Islam as a way to make him proud, and although his opinions dictated many of my life choices, there came a point when I realized that my happiness would sometimes be in direct conflict with winning other people's approval. I now live a life that would probably shock my former self. I have a thriving business career in Germany. I have a loving boyfriend and dear friends who are not Muslim. I'm no longer formally identifying as a Muslim. It's a big departure from the girl I once was, and from the woman I thought I'd be. But I'm happy. And I'm finally comfortable prioritizing my happiness and authentic life, too. My feelings toward my former religion are mixed. The culture is extraordinarily beautiful, and it's also extraordinarily complex. For me, I can't always see beyond the shame that seems to be intertwined with my experience, though. Like many complicated things in life, I still love many aspects of it. It's always going to be a part of my story in some way, and in acknowledging and appreciating that, I still smile and feel a sense of warm nostalgia anytime I hear an Arabic call to prayer, or if I smell incense, or if I see Middle Eastern children playing together. It reminds me of those innocent childhood days. I also find myself in the small moments still living out some of the teachings, Islam teaches us to leave a place better than when we found it. That's why I'm always the girl washing dishes at other people's dinner parties. I can't say that I've totally made peace with Islam. I'm still angry. I'm still reconciling the beauty with the pain. I'm still processing. I'm still unshaming. And... I'm okay with that. I'm Jorgen Salvis, and you've been listening to Unshaming. For more information about anyone featured on the show, follow us on Instagram at unshaming or visit unshamingpodcast.com. If you liked this episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have questions or want to tell us what you're unshaming, DM us on Instagram or email us at unshamingpodcast at gmail.com special thanks to mirzi for generously providing her original music you can find her wherever you stream thank you for listening and i'll see you next time